0: Corinthians chapter 13, we're going to be in the last part of verse 4, uh, but I'm going to read everything up until uh, where we'll stop in verse 4, just to give us a little context again. Again, we are in the chapter on love, that famous chapter about the heartbeat of God. Let's start in verse 1, and Paul says this. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love... I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind, love does not envy or boast. Stop right there. This is God's Word. Heavenly Father, as we dive into the depths of your Word, we pray that your Holy Spirit would activate our hearts to receive the truth contained within it. We come into this, Lord, believing that everything that you desire and will and say is good, better than anything we've ever heard before. You're the God of the universe. And you know what you have created. You know, the li- you know the abundant life that could be lived by your people. You know the obstacles. You know the entanglements. And you know what true freedom and liberation looks like. And so, God, we, we just ask in faith that through your word you would free us today to know who you really are, to know ourselves in light of who you are, and to be just a little bit more liberated than we were on Saturday night. Open our eyes to see the beauty of what it means to follow Jesus. Free us from the things that are holding us down, the counterfeits in life that we keep chasing after. Break us of our insatiable need for those little things. And open us up to what it would mean to to be satisfied in you, God. Ultimately, Lord, we just pray with Paul today None of it matters unless what is really happening inside of us is love. So, God, give us more love. Make us a loving church here in Santa Barbara. And teach us what it means to be loved by God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love does not boast. That's literally and simply what Paul is saying right now. If we cut it down to a phrase, which is what has been our habit for this series focusing in on these phrases in the chapter famous for love. That little phrase, love does not boast, is maybe a little bit foreign to us in the modern technological fast-paced age. Maybe some of us are even saying, that makes sense if I were to grow up in an agrarian society 2,000 years ago, you know, in the ancient uh, Middle East or in... uh, you know, the outskirts of Rome at a certain time, but this is, this is, like, I gotta pay the bills, I got three jobs, I got a lot to do, I gotta put my resume out there, I gotta be seen and known, the age is different. You're telling me not to boast? That is literally how I make a buck. Boasting is subtly ingrained in so much of what we do, even if it's not outlandish, like, I don't think, probably a lot of us wouldn't consider ourselves to be boastful or braggarts in that sense of the imagination, uh, in that sense of the word, but even just looking at our environment here in Santa Barbara, you can see it, not, not even in, in ourselves, but just in the environment that shapes us, subtly ingrained in the way that we relate to each other. Just think of the way that you introduce yourself to people. Maybe you did it a few minutes ago during the meet and greet what are the things that we generally say? Well, oh, hi, my name is so-and-so, what's your name? Well, my name is so-and-so, nice to meet you. What do you do are often the first questions, at least that I ask people, that I find myself asking people. Not that it's wrong in itself, there's nothing wrong with knowing what people do, but it's interesting that even our culture is shaped not to, not to lead us to ask questions like, what are you passionate about? What is your life like? What do you enjoy? What are your struggles? What do you like to do in Santa Barbara? The first thing that we generally ask, a lot of people at least, is what do you do? The first thing that we want to know about people is what they have accomplished. Even our culture, even subtly, forces us to build a case to one another for why they should pay attention to us. Sometimes our very worth is wrapped up in the things that we do, in the job that we have, in our accomplishments. The very cultural milieu in Santa Barbara is wrapped around how good you are or what you're able to accomplish. And it can be very subtle, such as in the way that we introduce ourselves. Not that that's a bad question to ask, but it's interesting at least. But even if it's subtle, its endings can be devastating. It can be devastating to always identify yourself by what you're able to do. Especially if there's nothing underneath that that, that has more depth. An example of this uh, is uh, Sheila Walsh. Some of you may not know her, some of you may uh, remember Christian Singer and a writer and former co-host of the 700 Club in its popularity in the 90s. She was no braggart in that sense of the word. You probably, if you met her, wouldn't wouldn't peg her as someone who is boastful. And yet, by her own admonition, her identity was deeply tied to the things that she did. She told a story once of how, in 1992, her disconnected spirituality caused her to hit a wall in her spirituality, as one author puts it. This is a quote. From Sheila Wall, she said, One morning, I was sitting on national television with my nice suit and inflatable hairdo, 90s, and that night I was in the locked ward of a psychiatric hospital. It was the kindest thing God could have done to me. The very first day in the hospital, the psychiatrist asked me, Who are you? I'm the co host of the 700 Club. That's not what I meant, he said. Well, I'm a writer. I'm a singer! That's not what I meant. Who are you? I don't have a clue, I said. And he replied, now that's correct, and that is why you're here. I'm not, this morning, suggesting that bragging will, let you wind, uh, will cause you to wind up in a psychiatric institution. I am suggesting that bragging may be, boasting may be symptomatic of something deeper in all of our hearts. Whether we boast with our words, or our ambition, or even our thoughts. So let's just start from here. What does boasting look like? Let's just start with those external symptoms, the way we act, the way that we talk, And then we'll see in a few minutes why Sheila's story, why Sheila Walsh's story, which reveals the inside, is not very different, perhaps, from some or maybe many of us in this room today, myself included. The context in Corinth, if you read 1 Corinthians, you see boasting happening all the time. This is why I've I've just been recently loving, in a fresh way, the love chapter. It's because Paul didn't just put together a bunch of descriptions about love arbitrarily or for poetic reasons to slap on the side of a coffee mug that looked beautiful. These were actually real things that were happening in the church in Corinth. These were real things happening in the life of this spiritual community that were antithetical to love that he was calling out. And it seems that thousands of years later, not only were these actual tangible things, but they seem to be fairly universal because thousands of years later, I can look at this list and be like, yeah, I'm struggling with that right now. And so we see it. We see in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6, there's this boasting, for example, of sin in the church. And there's this example of sexual immorality in, uh, within a community of spiritual people who love Jesus. And they're not only not ashamed of the sin, but they're actually bragging about it to one another. And Paul's like, why aren't you grieved? Why are you boasting? That's not a good thing to boast about. Well, we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 14 through 15, uh, people boasting in their rights and privileges with one another. Uh, using their rights and privileges to assert themselves over other believers instead of using those things to serve one another. Uh, we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 28 through 29 boasting in human abilities apart from God's abilities and Paul corrects that we see uh, not really in one text but spread throughout the letter these rivals these opponents of Paul and they're not like bad people at least you know a, a surf- from a surface glance we would look at these people and be like man they are spiritually advanced Uh, They have a superior wisdom, chapter 3, verse 18. They are excelling in the gifts of the Spirit, chapter 14, verse 37. They're speaking in tongues a lot, right? Uh, They seem to be very uh, spiritually mature. These are smart, intuitive, entrepreneurial, cutting-edge people in the church. And yet they're using all of those resources to attack the message of the gospel and to gain uh, attention from other people. They're essentially using all of, uh, this, uh, all of their giftings to build themselves up at the expense of other people. So we throw all that stuff together, we can say the, what boasting looks like, here's a, maybe a working definition, is excessively building yourself up to get something from somebody else. That's what we see in Corinth. Now what's, what's really wrong with boasting, right? Some of you are asking that. You're like, I still don't see a problem. It's a cutthroat world, and somebody needs to build myself up. Can't think of a better person than me. Now, boasting is very, is very particular, what Paul is speaking about, which we're going to get into. Let's talk about what it's not, just to be clear. Boasting here doesn't mean you can't promote your business, Okay? It doesn't mean you can't put out a, you know, an ad and Yelp or whatever, uh, have a social media campaign, or talk about how good you are at what you do. It doesn't, boasting doesn't mean you can't be proud of a recent accomplishment. It doesn't mean when someone says, man, you're really good at that, or wow, you're, you're really accomplished, you, that you're supposed to be like, oh no, it wasn't me, I'm terrible. You know, like kind of that pseudo-humility that we sometimes put upon ourselves as Christians. doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean we can't be competitive. Right, if you're in a sports or you're uh, uh, in the business world, it doesn't mean you can't try to be better than other people. You know, Paul of all people uses athletic imagery. He speaks of uh, of uh, not in in his own vocation. I I don't want to be like a boxer who's just beating the air aimlessly. I wanna I wanna race and win the prize. There's that competitive nature. It's a healthy one. Paul promotes the very things that he's he's doing. He promotes the gospel. He promotes uh, certain projects that he's doing, like the, uh, his project to Jerusalem. Uh, there's, there's people who are stoked about things that they have accomplished. Uh, if someone compliments you, it doesn't mean you have to be self-deprecating. That's not what boasting is. When Paul speaks about boasting, he's not saying you can't be confident, you can't promote yourself. Uh, in a healthy way, or you can't be proud of an accomplishment. It it doesn't mean you can't acknowledge something good that you just did or receive praise from other people. Boasting here means uh, specifically to extol oneself excessively. Just think about that word, excessively. The key word right there. Or another way of putting it, uh, one one scholar puts it this way, uh, ostentatious bragging. There's a hint of pretension there. Well, these, what this word means is that you're going over and beyond how much you should be speaking about yourself. There's an imbalance in the force, okay? You're going a little beyond. You're just, going, you're just taking it a little too far. You were right here, and you kind of took it to here, all right? Uh, think of this. There used to be this, I think, it, I, think I remember, there used to be this, like, renegade peacock at the Santa Barbara Zoo. I don't know if it was, I think it was the Santa Barbara Zoo, it was years ago. Anyone remember remember this? It would just creep up on you as you're eating like crackers in the park with your kid. I don't know if it was like a sanctioned animal in the zoo, I just know it was there, and it was just running around freely. Here's the thing about peacocks, if you can understand this, you can understand what boasting is in Paul's vernacular. Peacocks ain't nothing. You see them walking around, they're stooped low, they're shy, they look, like, they look like emaciated turkeys, right? They look like starving turkeys. They're just waddling around. They don't look very happy. But the moment they see a potential mate, everything changes. Everything changes. They start to strut. Their head goes a little higher than normal. They start to wiggle around. They change colors, and something behind them just kind of goes like this. Bam! Bam! A tail out of nowhere with just frilly, shiny colors. They're reflecting the sunlight. They used to be brown. Now they're all sorts of different shades of blue. And their their tail makes them look five times bigger than they normally were. Boasting the peacock. (laughs) They're trying to make themselves look better than they actually are. And sometimes it works. But that's besides the point. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, he never, he never says, don't talk about your accomplishments or promote your business or be confident. He says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. I love how the NLT translation puts it. Don't think uh, better of yourself than you are. Don't speak of yourself better than you actually are. Now, that's a... That's a little more tricky because there's no formula there, right? Don't do this, this, and this. He, he just says, just have sober judgment. Don't think of yourself highly, uh, more highly than you should. That takes a surprising degree of self-awareness, right? Because how good am I really? And where's like the line that I, I should draw? It takes a, a, a pretty healthy degree of self-awareness and even social awareness, something that we've been talking about for months, but if you want to try this, if you want to grow in self-awareness in this, in this uh, avenue, you could just start by asking yourself questions every time you leave a conversation. Uh, am I the headline of every conversation that I leave? Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Uh, love Proverbs chapter 27, verse 2, uh, which says, um, Let another praise you and not your own mouth. A stranger and not your own lips. Let somebody else do the praising for you. You don't have to do it yourself. How much of your praise is coming from you? So uh, every time you leave a conversation, ask yourself, am I the headline of this conversation? Uh, Or here's another question. Do conversations continually revert back to something I did? So you might find yourself talking with somebody else. They might even be talking, but do you notice uh, the conversation always coming back to you, and you see a glazed look in their eyes sometimes too. If they're if uh, <laughs> if, they're, if they're a little mean or, or a little bummed out, but uh, you could just ask yourself questions like this. Or, or here's another one: In conversation, do you know do you leave conversations knowing something about the other person? Maybe you leave conversations and you're like, I've I've done this a few times, and like, I didn't hear a thing they said. Or they didn't say anything. Oops. <laughs> These are questions that can actually help us to, to really notice. Like, oh gosh, I might be, you know, I wouldn't consider myself boastful or a braggart. Like, who does? But I, I'm clearly talking more about, I don't have sober judgment. I'm, I'm building myself up. I'm using other people to lift myself up. Now contrast that. Uh, with what love is. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Uh, if you want to go further, coming out of those conversations and growing in, in self-awareness, you can start asking questions of the heart. You can say, well, why do I feel the need to do that? I love asking the why question. Why do I feel the need to do that? I just completely hijacked that whole conversation. Or I... I oh, wow, I was interrupting a lot. Why do I do that? For me, I start to discover all sorts of things when I ask questions like that before God. Like, oh, man. I've, uh, some of the things recently that have come up are, have been like, this is like my one chance to shine. And if I don't say something, uh, I'm gonna miss it. Or, oh, this is like the, the perfect person. This is that person I've been waiting for. If I can just get on their good side and I find this this thing in me that's like i gotta get i gotta get myself out there. i gotta do something and uh, underneath now that's not as i said earlier self-promotion isn't always bad but you may find in the presence of god that underneath that is a motive of the heart and the bible always goes there it never is satisfied with the externals jesus said out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks The reason that we boast and the reason that we envy and the reason that we're jerks and the reason that we're impatient and all the list of vices that we can possibly give are intimately tied to what's first happening in our hearts. We are heart people. We are spiritual people. And underlying that, if you just take uh, these few verses that Paul has outlined, uh, selfish ambition, conceit, Sober judgment. You can start to see kind of that motive of the heart that is behind why I sometimes boast. Why I feel the need to uh, embellish myself at the expense of other people or to get something from other people. Underlying that, according to Paul, is unsober judgment. So it might be just a a spurt of immaturity. It might be a lacking of self-awareness. He says that sometimes it's conceit. Uh, I may think, or you may think, you're the most important thing to happen to people that, they, that they've encountered in a long time. You might be God's gift to that person right in that moment, and it's your job to help them realize it. Right? Or it could be selfish ambition. Maybe you feel the need to look out for number one because nobody else will. Uh, if you go through this list that Paul outlines, you can kind of boil it down to an act of self-preservation. I don't know if this resonates with you, but I find myself, whenever I ask those, those questions of self-awareness, like, why do I do that? Why did I come across that way? Why do I feel the need to, 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 to just peacock syndrome, you know? I just totally turned that person off, gave them the wrong impression. Why do I do that? I've, I've been finding recently more often that it's almost always rooted in some desire for self-preservation. I want to protect myself. It's really just insecurity. Ask yourself before God what the root is in those conversations that you find yourself in for you. Maybe it's the same. Insecurity is that thing that most human beings deal with from time to time, where we... uh, we attempt, to find, we attempt to fill that void of insecurity by masking it in th- about three things, the, the common things. One is our accomplishments, what we do, our belongings, what we have, and our social sta- uh, standing or status, who we know. That's a big one here in Santa Barbara, right? It's all about who you know in Santa Barbara. Actually, I'd say all three of these are big in Santa Barbara. They're universal. We attempt, a lot of us perhaps attempt to combat our deep feeling of insecurity by racking up things, by accomplishing uh, uh, accomplishments, and by gathering together the right types of people. But just be honest with yourself. As far as any of those have gotten you, have they made you happy yet? Or maybe that's the wrong question to ask. Maybe you are happy. Have they satisfied that deep longing inside of you yet? There might be a couple of you that, that say that it's true. There might be people in the world that said, yeah, I'm satisfied with all of my stuff, but they are deluded. I think most of us in this building would say, yeah, I still, I still haven't gotten there yet, just a little bit more. <laughs> I just had a slightly bigger house, and a little bigger paycheck. If my health insurance was better and if I had more friends and if I had better connections and if I lived on that side of town and if I had uh, more stuff, then I'll get there. I've shared this quote from time to time, very helpful. Uh, The the famous quote by the actor Jim Carrey who said, "I, I wish everybody could be famous and rich so that they could see that it just doesn't make you happy. Have any of these things made you happy yet? Probably for most of us, the answer is no, if we're honest. And there's a problem with boasting. Whether it's external, the things that we do with our mouths and our words, or it's internal, the things that we chase after. Boasting, constantly extolling yourself, might be symptomatic of something deeper. It always is. A hurting, deficient heart. A heart that is deficient, really, in love. We're insecure, so we chase after these three things, hoping to fill the void that is there. Hence the story that Sheila Walsh unleashes upon the world years ago. We would never probably, if you met her, you'd never consider her to be boastful. And yet she, by her own admonition, felt like she was a human doing, not a human being. She felt defined by externals, and when those externals were peeled away, there was nothing else. That's scary to me because I have been around the block long enough to know how to fake it really well. I can make people who don't know me very well think that I am humble. I know all the tricks. I know what to say, and I know what not to say. I've progressed far enough to be able to fake things really well, and you might, looking at me from the small vignettes on Sunday mornings, sometimes think, gosh, he has it together. Hopefully I've dispelled that myth over the last three months, but some of you still might be holding out, wow, (laughs) if only. See, Charlie knows how jacked up I am. (laughs) My goal on Sunday mornings is to get you all caught up to speed (laughs) so that we can all realize together that our hope should be in somebody else. But boasting, even if it doesn't come out of my mouth, I am so wonderful, you know. And there are people like that. But for some of us, we, we, we do it more subtly. We might even pretend to be humble. We might even think that we're being humble. I'm humble. Oh, you're so spiritual. You're so good at what you do. Gosh, you're so gifted. Oh, it's not me, it's the Lord. But tell me more, you know. We might start walking differently, even if it's not our walk. Maybe it's our heart walking. You just start to walk with a strut. We might have started off desperate for the power and the grace of God, and now we're just a little more free-floating, you know what I mean? Like a little more independent. we're like, "Yeah, got this." We might have prayed with more desperation and passion once. And now our prayers have trickled a little bit over time. We've got this. We're starting to depend on our flesh. And sure, we might not. We might be spiritually mature enough not to boast and tell people out loud, I've got it all together, but maybe we actually think that we have it all together. Boasting is a product of the heart. Sometimes it may manifest itself in the words we say when we boast, but not always. The product of the heart may manifest itself in outward forms of bragging, but for others, sometimes for me, It may be ingrained in the things that I chase on a regular basis. I boast through my ambitions. I boast through what I'm passionate about. I boast by how I spend my money. I boast by the things that I think are the most important and I spend the most time on. And so just because we sound humble or can sound humble does not preclude the fact that the same ruthless vice might be growing hidden inside each of our hearts, eating us away from the inside out you'll know because your insecurity is being masked by accomplishments, belongings, and status. And that insecurity, that sense of boasting needs to be rooted out just like everything else and given up if you want to experience the fullness of the abundant life of Christ that you have inherited in him. Jesus tells us, good news for you and me, is that there is a better way. The norm in our culture, in Santa Barbara, is that the win is in how good we look. Success looks kind of like how good you look externally. But the counterintuitive principle of the kingdom of God is almost backwards. The win in God's kingdom is in the loss It's completely backwards from what the world holds as valuable. Jesus says, it's not in what you can attain in this life, it's what you are able to surrender to be. That is a criteria of success. If you want to use that word, Matthew chapter 10, verse 39, Jesus says, whoever finds his life will actually lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now Jesus isn't, he's not talking about like ending your life here. He's saying instead of trying to find yourself in what you do, what you have, and who you know, give those things up and uh, uh, as holding to, to uh, as being things that are most important and valuable and ultimate. And now find your true worth in Me. That's what He says when He says, "Die to yourself and live in Me. Give those things up as your hope in this life, and find your true worth in what Christ says about you." In fact, I love this passage in Colossians, chapter 3, verse 3. Still years later, gives me goosebumps when I read it. Paul says, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Stop for a moment and let that sink in. For those of you who have seen Christ to be alluring and attractive and worthwhile and valuable more so than anything else in this life, enough to follow him and to believe on him and trust him, Paul says of you, you have died to all those other things in your life, and your life is now hidden. Your true identity is hidden with Christ and God. I just see this like visual, you know, of like, God in all of His glory and splendor, like just this behemoth of a cosmic ruler and authority, you know, the creator of all things, just holding you, like in His hands, just like like my daughter holds a ladybug, you know. Not my son; that ends very poorly. But my daughter, it's just, it's just like just the care. Just the smallness and insignificance of who we are in the scheme of things, and yet God, in all of his majesty, is holding you. You have died of those things. Your life is hidden with Christ and God. He's got you. And as we are sitting there, hidden with Christ and God, not feeling the need to boast, I should add this now. Boasting isn't always bad. Boasting is really, if you think about it, just another way to describe Worship. It's what our heart wants to be in awe of. We just weren't made to worship ourselves. We weren't made to boast in ourselves. And think about this. Your heart has too deep of a capacity to be satisfied by such infinitesimally small things such as yourself. You're not great enough to satisfy the need. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11 says that when God made you, he set eternity in your heart. You were made to be in awe of huge things, far exceeding and transcending the earthly things. Paul uh, Paul said in Colossians chapter 3, love that chapter. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. I love that uh, analogy that. uh, John Piper used to speak about all the time when he said nobody comes to the edge, the precipice of the Grand Canyon looking out on that wide panoramic expanse to feel uh, to build up their self-esteem. You know what I'm saying? Like you never go to the Grand Canyon, look over the edge and say, "I feel so ins- insignificant right now. I feel so big." <laughs> Nobody looks at the expanse of the Milky Way through a telescope or in a dark night and and says, I feel so great. I'm the biggest thing I've ever known. We feel the opposite. We see the beauty of God's creation, especially things like that, and we feel small. You know what the strange, counterintuitive thing about those situations is? It feels good. You look at something beautiful in creation. That question you guys, some of you were asking a few minutes ago, where do you go to, to, to experience worship and creation? You're looking out at the ocean or the mountains or whatever it is. You feel so small and so right. There's something healing about knowing that we're not the greatest thing to happen in our own universe. That there's someone out there that is actually greater who's holding us in the palm of his hand. And it seems that the testimony of Scripture is that freedom comes when we realize that and we let go. So we can boast, but what about? Prophet Jeremiah says, actually the Lord through Jeremiah, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. We see that very thing popping up in the New Testament in Luke chapter 10, when the disciples, freshly imbued with the power of God's kingdom, started casting out demons. This is probably the first time this has ever happened in, in history. They come back to Jesus, and they're like, Jesus, Jesus, look at, look at this touched this person, and demons left. And what's Jesus saying, Luke? That's awesome. Not that I was surprised, I mean. But don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In other words, don't rejoice or boast that demons know you. Rejoice and boast that you are known by God there's anything that a believer should be excited about, it's their personal, deep ongoing, continuous relationship with the God of the universe as God begins to free our heart through that wonderful truth that we are known by God through Christ might start to notice little by little as you just begin to walk in that, that, you can be free from what other people think of you You can start to let go of it a little bit. Maybe people's criticisms don't bother you as much as they used to. You just keep continuing to go back to, hey, God loves me. I don't care if they don't. (laughs) Or maybe I kind of care, but I'm I'm just gonna keep going back to that truth. God loves me. He's got me in his hand. God loves me. He's got me in his hand. You can little by little begin to experience freedom from what other people think of you, how they size you up, even what you think about yourself. Sheila Walsh, Later go on to say, you know, I I measured myself by what other people thought of me. That was slowly beginning to kill me. Some of you ever experienced that? Are you experiencing that right now? Before I entered the hospital, some of the 700 club staff said to me, don't do this. You'll never regain any kind of platform. If people know you are in a mental institution and on medication, it's over. I said, you know what? It's over anyway. So I can't think about that. I really thought I had lost everything, my house, my salary, my job, everything. But I found my life, she says. I discovered at the lowest moment in my life that everything that was true about me, God already knew. And he loved me yet the same. Perhaps some of you are wearying, tiring yourself out by projecting an image of who you think people want you to be or what you think other people want you to be? Are you tired of that today? Are you tired of pretending? I want to I let you in on the secret of the gospel, this powerful truth that God already knows everything about you that you're trying so hard to keep from other people. He knows things about you you don't even know about yourself. All the embarrassing things, the humiliating things, the shameful things, the things that are so bad, you don't even want to think about them yourself because it's so discouraging and degrading. God already knows them and he still loves you. And there's nothing you can do Nothing you can say and no way in which you can fail that will ever be able to separate you, even a minutia, from the relentless love of the living God that is waiting to be poured out upon your lap right now. If that can't utterly destroy and decimate the surfacey attachments we have to people's silly opinions about us, I don't know what will. But I say it again. God loves you. God loves you. Jesus is able through the love of God in him to free us from those incessant desires to protect our image because we have lost that image for a better one, his. And we can even find, as we begin to grow in that love, that we're able to stop thinking about ourselves and actually think about other people's needs. Philippians 2 Verse 4 says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. You know what I love about that passage? Is that Paul grounds it in our union with Jesus. He says right after that, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. The only way you and I can ever hope of being freed from our enslavement to insecurities and self-preservation is through our union with Jesus Christ who grounds our identity in who he is. And once you're able to sit in that place, you'll be able to live from a place of overflow and not from lack. An overflow that is given to you not by anything that you've done but by the grace of God. And I ask Alex to come up with the band as we just begin to sing, what a great way of boasting, right? Realigning our boast, our worship to the one who really matters. But as we do that, I want to give you a visual: the visual of the cross of Jesus Christ. Paul said in First Corinthians, "If there's anything, and I'm grossly paraphrasing this right now, if there's anything that could take away my ability to boast, it is the cross." For in the cross, you and I see that we were unable even to save ourselves. And still to this day, we cannot save ourselves. And yet when we look upon the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we see God stepping down into our mess, reaching out with his hand into the deadness of our life and pulling us up. If there's anything that you can do to realign your boast and truly your worship right now, It's by looking upon the cross and asking yourself, God, is there any insecurity in my heart right now that I've been trying to fix with my own resources? Lay it before God at the foot of the cross today and receive the gift of his grace upon you. You are loved by God. Heavenly Father, meet us today as we sing, as we take of the sacraments, the bread and of the the cup. And in that visceral way, reminding ourselves of the sacrifice of your death and the subsequent victory of your resurrection, we ask that you would just slowly begin to align the heart of this church to a person truly worth boasting about. May we even, in the process of this, not be afraid of our insecurities, not be afraid of our weaknesses, but be able to say someday with Paul, I glory in my weakness, because it's in those things that God's power is made perfect. May the powerful God of the universe meet us in our weakness today. In Jesus' name, amen.